Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thank you for tuning in. You're in for a good one. Look, before we get into it, if you haven't heard by now, we are running a giveaway. Be one of three people to win a brand new Fitbit or a Kindle Fire 8 tablet. All you have to do is go follow my brand new podcast called The Week on Earth. If you're listening on Apple, it's the checkbox in the upper right-hand corner. Spotify and elsewhere, just hit the follow button. Send a screenshot of you following us to my email at chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com, and you will be entered into the giveaway with winners announced in October. You probably have about a 1 in 30 chance of winning. Definitely worth your time, and it's an excellent podcast. We have a Peabody Award-winning producer, a Grammy Award-winning musician, and two really great hosts. I'm one of them. Anyways, go subscribe The Week on Earth. This week on Smart People Podcast, you are going to love it. We're getting back to our roots. One of the reasons we started this podcast was to figure out what we wanted to do with our lives. And that's a lot of what we talk about this episode. We are interviewing Christy Hunter R. Scott, who is the author of the brand new book, Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career. One thing I want to say is if you heard that and said, I am not a woman, that's okay. Neither am I. This is relevant for everyone. And Christy's pretty brilliant. She is a Rhodes Scholar with two master's degrees focused on gender research from the University of Oxford. Named by Thinkers 50 as one of the top management thinkers likely to shape the future of business and a former inclusion subject matter expert within Deloitte's U.S. consulting practice. She's an award-winning advisor, speaker, and author. She's also down to earth, lives in the Bahamas, and has great advice. This episode changed the way I think about risk and how I want to approach the rest of my career. 
Last thing I'll say, if you are on social media, particularly TikTok, we're dropping some knowledge over there. So go follow Smart People Podcast. I'm talking about things I've learned over the years, my favorite podcast moments, and more, typically in a minute or less on TikTok and Instagram. Let's get into it. We are talking to Christy Hunter Arscott on her brand new book, Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career. Enjoy. Where are you located, by the way? I'm actually, good question, <laughs> Bermuda. Wow. <laughs> I okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was, um, I was born and raised in Bermuda, and then I did my schooling here. Then I did, I left when I was 17 to go to Brown, um, do my, did my undergrad there, did grad school in the UK, lived in the US for a while, Philly, Boston, traveled all over, moved home right before the pandemic. Um, and so my home base is still here, and I travel a lot for work, but it's, it's great. We're an hour and a half from New York, from Boston, direct flight to London, direct flight to Toronto. So uh, that's most of my clients. I'm sorry. You just said Bermuda. Like, yeah. like, let me tell you the last place I was anticipating was Bermuda. I, I know. Okay. You know what? We're going to leave this in. We're going to leave this in. This is fantastic. I could have been like guests and we would have been here for the whole podcast. Oh my so. gosh. Yeah. So... I don't know anybody who, did you say you were born in Bermuda? <laughs> yeah, born and raised what is my that father's. Even like? Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I was very lucky. Um, Bermuda is an amazing place to grow up. You can be outside year round. Um, and just the community and the vibrancy and the culture here was just really formative. Um, also having access to the ocean for me was very formative in kind of my younger years, which was amazing. And part of the reason why, this is now home base from which I travel um, to my clients uh, because, yeah, because it's great. I've got a five-year-old, so um, uh-huh. I can be outside with him all the time, which is awesome as well. I think I was ready to have a base. And the great thing about running your own business, I mean, my business is a mix of um, coaching um, and then strategic advisory work with companies, speaking and facilitation and lectures, and then research and writing. And Really, for me, being able to have a home base and then travel to my clients as needed, it's worked out great. So let's get into it. Let's talk about your business. And we're also talking about your new book, Begin Boldly. One of the things I found fascinating, I know a lot of your schooling and your work is in gender differences and specifically when it relates to the workforce. Tell me where that passion came from and why you decided to focus on how women are being impacted in the workforce. Yeah, it was funny. Someone asked me that a couple years ago, like, why did you focus on this? And when did you start caring about this? And I had to think back to um, this time, and I must have been about 11. And my drama teacher at the time asked me in school, she was like, Christy, will you try out for our public speaking and debating team? And I said, sure, I'll try out tomorrow. And she said, go home and write a three-minute speech. And I went home um, and prepared my speech. And then the next day I came in and everyone talked about their favorite vacation spots or favorite food or extracurricular activities. I mean, we were 11 and I prepared and presented a whole speech on why women should be priests in the Catholic church. And I had gone home and knocked on the rectory door of my priest and interviewed him at length. And so I, it's so funny not knowing exactly where it comes from, but looking back, knowing it's always been there for me, there was always this awareness of exclusion. And so 
I think we use the word inclusion a lot, but I remember as a child having a very, very heightened sense of when people were excluded. And that could happen on a playground. It didn't always just come through a gender lens. It could come through a disability lens. It could come through, you know, in groups and out groups as teenagers. But I always had an awareness of exclusion and that always really bothered me. Um, and so I've kind of found that that is something that has always been a fire within me is like, how do we address this? I, I studied kind of race and gender and sexuality at Brown. And that was an amazing platform for me to delve into these issues more. But then when I got the Rhodes Scholarship and I wanted to study women's studies, it was really questioned. And I recently wrote a blog on that. I was like, it was questioned, like, why would someone get the Rhodes Scholarship and waste it almost on women's studies? You should be doing law or medicine. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie. As soon as you said that was your choice for the Rhodes Scholar, that my head went, huh. <laughs> so I get it. In fact, yeah. it's the obvious next question. And we're talking today about careers and how to find what you want to do and how to take yeah. risks. I can't wait to get into it. But you took this risk and I did not. I think it sometimes is the right decision actually to go, you know what? I'm going to study something as personal and, and intriguing to you as it was, knowing that the career opportunities that would come from it are probably slim to none. So how yeah. were you able to do that? And what advice would you give to people in this situation? I mean, Chris, that is such an amazing question. And it's also like such, it's such a difficult, complex issue as we're looking at the educational landscape and advice and student loans and all of that. And what I will share is just kind of my point of view was, I think when you feel so pulled by a topic and so energized by something and you look back and you're thinking about like, this is so core to like what I care about, you, you know, your why and, and then you know your what, what you want to focus on. And then you have to be flexible with the how. And so what I mean by that is it might look very different in different settings or different economies. So for me, a lot of people said, well, what are you going to do with this? Um, and also at the time, there wasn't the level of heightened awareness around women's bodies and rights still being a battleground. It was almost like, Christy, this is stuff that was solved in our parents' generation. Why would you even focus on this? So I, what, what was questioned, I said now in this blog, I just wrote no longer needs to be qualified because now people say, oh my gosh, you know, I totally get it. But also I found what was different ended up being, for lack of a better term, a major differentiator for me. So I joined Deloitte Consulting in the US and at a very junior level in my mid twenties, I mean, I was escalated to running a national pursuit and proposal team on diversity and inclusion work. I was running internal women's initiatives. I was um, the, the head of human capital consulting at the time, really, really cared about women's issues. And I was doing research and developing tools for the marketplace and delivering in the service offering. And so a lot of people came in with MBAs and there's nothing wrong with an MBA, but I had something that really ended up differentiating me and catalyzed my growth and my connectivity at that stage. But for this audience here, the advice is going back to what you just asked me is, know why you want to do something, crystallize a motivation that matters. And that's in my book. Like I know what my motivation around this space is. Then think about what you want to do. I knew I wanted to women's studies, but how that manifests into career, I have to be flexible for a while. It was being internal within Deloitte consulting. Now it's running my own practice, but even now my different levers that I may pull in kind of my portfolio career, sometimes I might be doing more strategic advisory. Sometimes it might be coaching. 
So I'm very flexible on the how, as long as I'm core on the why, and that's really clear. I just had to write down so many things that this was fantastic. So one, I'm going to say to the listeners, um, because I think one of the things I can bring into these conversations is continuity. We interviewed David Epstein and he wrote a book called Range. And one of the things I took away from that is generalists and specialists. There's two ways to get your unique value. And the route you went was the specialist, which was I'm going to study something that I truly enjoy and believe in. And because of that, and because of its uniqueness, it kind of like you said, catapults me early on, even ahead of those who had a lot of designations. The other one is the path that I think I'm taking and some taking generalist, which is you might not have that specialization early. And so it takes longer, but over time, your unique value comes from the aggregation of the different learnings as opposed to the singular focus. And not that yours was singular. I'm just, I'm telling it to our listeners because I like hearing the opposite, which was you, which is like, I was real passionate and I specialized and I did it at the biggest level on my road scholar. And it, it, it boosted me up, even though that might not be the path for everyone. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I also talk about my book though, like you have to be agile and the, and, and, and the, process of being like agility. Like I'm flexible based on what the market needs, my clients needs. I know this is what I want to focus on, but like I said, what that looks like may look at different things, like different ways at different points in my career. However, Chris, I will say to you that I do believe that you have to have certain functional skill sets and not just a knowledge expertise to truly be successful. And those, a lot of those functional skill sets I learned or acquired through different stages of my career. I mean, I was a public speaker and debater at world's championships when I was younger. A lot of my career now is speaking, you know, and and I'm like, wow, what a great skill set to hone in my teens. Um, A lot of my functional capabilities around strategic and critical thinking and advising came from my time in Deloitte, where I really, really honed those. And I was on projects that weren't just specialized for women. They were specialized maybe on people or change or transformation or, you know, virtual workplaces. And so for me, I feel like that base was so, so important for me to then be able to leverage the expertise and passion and specialization you just mentioned. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month's, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com smart. That's rocketmoney, 
dot com slash smart. One last time, rocketmoney.com slash smart. I really want to hone in on this, you know, know your why and what, but let the how be flexible. Yeah. And the reason is I'm finding that when you know your why, sometimes flexing on how can feel off track. It can feel like a detour. It can feel like, I don't want to say wasted time, but you know, this isn't the essence of it. How do you deal with that when you feel like you might be taking a step to the side or backwards, even though you're still operating in that same why? When we think about career paths as linear or it looks like this, like being a woman specialist or gender specialist in looks like this, I think we're going to lose so many opportunities for growth and learning. And it's sometimes in hindsight, you realize the value of things and how the puzzle pieces are fitting together. But I heard this great analogy from a senior level woman leader years ago, and she was like, we're all on the highway and we might be in the slow lane for a while, or, you know, just let people know that you're getting into a lane that's a little slower. We're going in the same direction or that you want to be in the fast lane for a while. Or, and then I always think about it like, or you take a detour, you put your indicator on, you tell people, but you come back on, there's exits and entrance onto most highways. And it might be not exactly the way you envisioned it, but you can still be going in that same direction. And I'm working with um, someone right now who um, I coached years ago, and I've seen her career evolve from like a high level corporate role to where she is now, to then doing entrepreneurial side hustles, to sitting on boards. And we work on this all the time. Like, depending on your financial conditions, security, your family, the markets, you have to be flexible on the how. If you're too rigid on the how, you're not going to achieve your why. And so I think it's really important to weave that into your narrative too and understand that the most interesting people, most skilled people, most capable are the ones that are like going through the ebbs and flows of a crazy career journey and being able to learn from it and propel themselves further. Have you ever felt that that almost uncertainty or that fluidity comes at the expense of extra stress, you know, because uncertainty can be unsettling, how would you recommend we deal with that? Yeah. So I actually write about that in my book because I mean, I've struggled with that. Almost all of my clients struggle with that as human beings we're we're often, and particularly like when you're you know, these striving, high-performing human beings, you're, you're trying to control as many factors as you can. But most of the time, what we're trying to control is give up, what we're trying to do is create a false sense of security or control. And the reality is in our lives, there's very few things that are absolutely something that like we know we can hold on to. And so I actually think learning the skill sets and the mindsets to embrace uncertainty is one of the most critical things for living a rich and vibrant and full and brilliant um, life, not just career. Because, you know, you you have kids and every single day is uncertain. You walk into a workplace and you don't know if you're going to be laid off, if there's a recession. I mean, you can get a secure job. Is it really secure? Leadership changes, companies change, products change, markets change. So I think one of the most powerful tools we have is our ability to truly embrace uncertainty and I talk about how to kind of use your mindset to do that in the book, but then also believe no matter what the outcome, you can figure it out. So embracing uncertainty comes down to the fact that you have to have faith in your capabilities 
that irrespective of what happens, you can figure it out. That might mean pulling upon your network, working with other people, but just know that you can figure it out and figure out a next step. Um, I think that's such an essential life skill. How do we build that in a way that's different from just, hey, we should think differently? I think believing it is easy, but embodying it is really hard. Yeah. So a lot of it has to go through working through like your inner critic or limiting beliefs around yourself. And we all have that kind of side that that's telling us you're not going to be able to figure this out. This is too much for you. You should be holding on to things you can control. And it's very comforting when you hear all of those voices or, you know, inner dialogues for whatever you want to call them to like retreat to a place that feels safer um, or more secure or more predictable. But the reality is like there are certain like actual tools you can use to counter that. So in my book, I talk about like ways we reframe our limiting beliefs. And yes, a lot of it's mindset work, but you have to interrupt negative thought patterns if you're actually going to be able to take risks. And the whole book is about the fact that we should actually embrace risk, seek out risk, reimagine it, embrace uncertainty because uncertainty is part of taking risk. And it, it kind of says we we take risks all the time in our lives. You know, we get in a car every single day, even though there's a chance of an accident. But guess what? We were taught how to drive. We had a driver's ed class. We probably have an emergency number if we get a flat. We probably have a map or a GPS or, you know, um, there are so many other things. We've got our car manual and we, we treat risking and embracing uncertainty like, oh, we should just know. But it's not like that. I'm not telling you to go jump off of, a, you know, I talk about this in my book. I'm not saying put a blindfold on and get in a paraglide when you've never paraglided before and jump off a mountain. No, I'm saying like if you have a method and a toolkit to help you embrace uncertainty and embrace risk, that is the way so you can be intentional and strategic. So that's why I lay out like, here's how to think about uncertainty and risk. Like think about your motivation, think about the opportunity and opportunity cost. Think about your vision, your end game plan, who your support is. And all of those things make dealing with uncertainty and risk a strategic decision that you plan for versus something that is overwhelming. You know what? I, I think that's fantastic advice. And I was just relating it to my own life. And it made me realize, I think sometimes myself and probably many people will know that that kind of work is the work you have to do. But it's easier to not do the work, live in your head, worry about what you can't control and not change anything. Like, oddly enough, it's easier to suffer internally than to progress externally. Yeah, I mean, it's it is difficult. And I think there's like in the framework that I just mentioned, the the S is for support, right? And one thing I've learned is like, There is no self-made man or woman, despite all the lists and awards, like none of us are an island. We're all interconnected. And the more we realize that we need support in these journeys of self-exploration, of moving past our fear and internal resistance, the better off we'll be for it. And so I encourage people to surround themselves with numerous different types of support. So one are success advisors, and those are people that have embraced uncertainty, have taken risks because they're going to be the bold ones that you can look up to. You can think, gosh, this is possible. This is within the realm of possibility. And they can also give you advice. You also be closer to where those risks and amazing things happen. Um, The other are stakeholders. So if you're going to make a bold move or embrace uncertainty, you have to engage, like whether it be 
your family or your boss, like whoever's going to be impacted by it. Like just think about those discussions. And then the last piece is really around your support group. And those, that safety net is what, what's going to help you. Like Chris, if you made, took a risk and, you know, got over a fear of uncertainty and then things didn't turn out as you had hoped, you need someone to help you support, get through that time. And if they do, you need someone to help you level up and make the most of that opportunity. So I really think we underestimate the power of those things. If somebody is not feeling entirely fulfilled with where they are, and they're looking, you know, they're beginning the steps of change in a career. They're thinking about it. Where do we start? So I think one thing that holds people back from making bold moves and keeps them almost complacent in roles where they know that there's something more, but they're nervous about it. It's not just the fear of failure. It's the fear of uncertainty, which we've always already kind of broken down. Um, but it's also almost like an all or nothing mentality of extremes. Like I either will stay in this job or I will leave. I will either take this secondment or I won't. I'll either move to Singapore or I'll stay in Wisconsin. Like these are extremes. And the way that we can get past kind of fear of taking a risk or inaction and try to match kind of our aspirations and our actions more is by taking what I call kind of like micro acts of courage or creating experiments. So instead of saying, I am going to go up to my boss and try to change their flexibility policy because I want to work from anywhere. You could instead say, I'm going, I, I wanted to propose Chris that over the next month I work remotely Monday and Friday and I'll do all of our team meetings in office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and ensure that we're still delivering on all of the things that matter to the company. I want to do this for a month and trial it, see how it goes. And at the end of the month, Chris, what if we touch base and we said, like, look at the metrics over the month. Like, is the team happy? Has our performance been consistent? Are clients happy? You know, whatever metrics that matter to you and me, we can decide. And um, then we can decide whether we continue this experiment or we abandon it or we refine it and enhance it and look at a different shift of schedule. But that experiment is so much easier to get your head around than I'm going to go negotiate for the company to change their flexibility policy. And the same when you're thinking about, you know, making a move in a career, you could say, well, what can I experiment with for a month? to evaluate like maybe the market need or my abilities in this space or, you know, what it be and what are the things that are going to indicate success or give me more information to refine it going forward. Um, it's also a useful thing at home. Like we talk a lot about like division of house and childcare, you know, that's something that most couples deal with irrespective of, you know, dynamics and dual career or single career. And so how do you negotiate instead of being like, you know what, I want my husband to pick up my our child every single day of the week and take him to school every single day of the week. Not really realistic. But if you said, you know, I'd like to trial this for the next month. What if we split pickups this way and this this way? These were kind of, and let's touch base at the end and see how we're doing with our work schedules and everything. A lot better than you need to do more. Can you do all of this? And so I think this process of what I call agile experimentation in work and life, like small scale experiments, are, is a really, really powerful way to get up the courage to take bolder moves eventually. As you were talking, 
I realized a couple of things here. And we talked about mindset, but it starts with a true belief, not a line in a book, not a sentence in a podcast, but a true belief that we don't need perfect structure, control, visibility to the future. In fact, that is incredibly detrimental to any progress. And I know that sound, when I say it, I know how it sounds. But I think, especially after the past two and a half, three years, all people want to cling to is some sense of certainty. And I'm wondering if that has gotten more prevalent over the past few years with everything going on. Are you seeing that in your practice? So it's interesting. I've seen that most people, when things feel like they're spiraling out of control, for lack of a better term, in certain areas, they try to cling to one area they can exert control over or feel like they can so that it gives them some sense of sanity. But my view is that most senses of security around these things are false sense of security. You know, you're never going to be able to completely control markets or pandemics or the weather for that matter, or, you know, leadership preferences or what your partner is doing or what your kids are doing. And so I actually think one of the most important skill sets we need for life is our ability to embrace change and embrace uncertainty and deal with outcomes and just believe like Marie Forleo, who um, runs B-School and is, you know, an influencer, she wrote this book and it's called Everything is Figure Outable. And it's not a real word, but I tell myself that all the time, like I can figure this out. And, you know, Chris, it's, it almost makes me think since you come from the consulting world as well, like you never go into a client and then think like, I can't figure this out. When you're hired by a company, no matter what problem they have, you believe you can figure it out as long as you bring in the right experts, network, you know, the right problem solving tools. And what if we treated our lives a little bit more like that? Like I, we go into consulting projects and irrespective of, you know, what problem they have, we know with our networks and tools and capabilities that we can come to some solution. And I really think lives need to be approached the same way. We should know we have these tools in our toolkit. We can, you know, read books, get frameworks, think about things critically, and then leverage our networks and experts to really help us figure things out. And I think that's the best approach to things personally and professionally. I really encourage listeners to think beyond the words for a second, because it can sound trite. Oh, we need to embrace change and take risks. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but what I like is, as you I wrote down this equation here, risk equals action. It's basically something you said, and we'll clip it. We'll probably put it on TikTok just for those listening. Yes, we have a TikTok. <laughs> We've started it. Let's go. Um, Good to know. Yeah, Good to but, know. <laughs> um, you know, it's almost, I don't remember the exact words you said, but that's what I heard was everything we do is a risk. Everything. When I do an action, that's maybe even somewhat outside of the norm, I can't be positive about the result. And so taking that, expanding that framework into everything and recognizing we know action is going to get us to where we want to go or or where we think we want to go. So let's just reframe it a little bit as, yes, it's risk, but that's the positive of the action. Yes. Like, I mean, Chris, you've put it so well. And 
I really think that that's such a critical reframing. I also wanted to go back. Like, this is not a woo woo book. That's like everyone take risks <laughs> and you know embrace change and embrace uncertainty and you know and and you're right. Like it can sound trite, and that's not what this book. This book is like risks are valuable invaluable in our lives and in our careers. They are really, we have to be able to take risks if we want a rich and vibrant and brilliant and bold existence, full stop. So then the question is, how do we do it? And this book is really a formula for how. Like I'm not telling everyone on this like podcast to go out and take any risk. I'm saying, here's a method to assess it. Here's a ritual to embedding your life. And then here's how you continue to learn and grow. Another misnomer is this is not about avoiding failure. It is not about avoiding negative outcomes because you can't. The bottom line, it's about how you deal with negative outcomes and failures when they do happen so that you progress further than if you never took the risk at all. So an example is like you don't risk, so you're coming along life like this, right? But then in other times you risk and yeah, you may be set back. But what you learn is going to propel you further than if you, you know, never took that at all. Sometimes people make a career move and they're like, crap, this didn't work out. This wasn't the company for me. This wasn't the role. Great. What did you learn? You learned a lot more than if you'd stayed in that safe job. I bet you have so many new insights about where your capabilities and skills and unique edge will, will really play. And so I just think we need to also think about failure in that way as well. For somebody who, you know, went to Brown and Oxford and all these things, I have to imagine that was a learned skill for you. Now, yes, I'm just making assumptions, but like people typically who, you know, achieve at very high levels, I find are not always great at getting things wrong or failing. Uh, did that always come easy to you? Or if not, how can we start to get better at that? <laughs> I love it. You're like, by the way, I bet you, you really sucked at failure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not exactly, but <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you're absolutely right. Like I really struggled with that. And I think particularly when you're younger, you're like, I study and hard work should equal this. And then when it doesn't, particularly for someone that, you know, is really focused on their academics, it's very difficult. And so it was learned over time. Like I started doing work um, in college where I was looking at like the work of Carol Dweck on mindset and anyone that works with young girls or young women or has daughters or nieces, I really encourage you to um, read it. But it was that perfectionism trap where, you know, you might've gotten an F in a class and said, well, that's data. I'm going to improve next time. Meanwhile, the F to me means I am a failure. And it's what I call an outcome identity conflation. Like the outcome of my risk-taking relates, then becomes my identity. And that is very hard. Um, so you've got to break those apart. But it's that kind of work that really helped me um, break through some of those barriers and be bolder in my, my own career. How can we get more comfortable with that? You're reminding me of, you know who we're going to interview soon? Annie Duke. She's a poker player. Okay. She's one of the top, if not the top female poker player ever. And her message is essentially the thing that poker players are best at is removing outcome from input because they, their job is to calculate decisions as good as you can, recognizing you can still get it wrong. 
If you've got pocket aces, somebody else has two, three, and you go all in and they, for some reason, call you, there is still a chance and it is not insignificant that you lose despite having the, the, despite it being the right choice. So I bring that up because it's what's coming to mind for me as you're talking about this outcome identification, which I really like. What can we do to remove that outcome identification if it really is uncertain? Like, let's say I want to not just ask my boss for two days of hybrid work, but I want to start my own company. I want to, you know, really like I need a change, but I'm really nervous about it. What what else can we yeah. do? I mean, <laughs> creating a plan for a range of outcomes is a great way because even though that plan may change, and this sounds like such a simple thing, you're like, of course, but I always say like, what's your end game plan? And you've got to realistically think like, if things work out, this is what I'm going to do. And if things don't, this is what I'm going to do. And so if you put yourself up for a stretch roll, but you don't, but you know, then then you get it and you're like, oh my gosh, you you still need a plan because you're going to have to figure out the gaps, figure out the learning. If you want to start a company and then it fails, what's your, what's your next step? So I think the problem is like, that seems like such a common sense statement, but most of us get so overwhelmed by taking a risk. We don't have a formula for approaching them. And the key is like approach a risk, risk taking with a formula. And it becomes a lot less daunting, like have a method for it. And, and what I found in my research was like, there were so many people that were aspiring to take risks in their careers, but those aspirations weren't translating to action. And so I'm like, I always ask my clients, like, are your actions, do your actions match your aspirations? And if not, we need to highlight why they don't match and how do we close that gap? And often it's because people don't know how to take that risk, but giving someone a formula or a method is actually how you can overcome a lot of that. It sounds like you were pretty clear on your passions and your why early. I don't think that's the norm. So what can we do to, to first identify that longer term why or these, these outcomes we want so that we can align our actions to those. Yeah. So I think it takes some, you know, that inner work that we often don't do in the hustle and bustle of the daily to do's. And, and it's often helpful to talk to a coach or someone else to really help you guide through, guide you through it, or to pick up one, like there's so many great career books out there that will help you kind of do some of that internal work. But I often just help my clients with a simple framework, um, which is like, what do you love doing where you lose all sense of time? Because some people, you're right, they don't even know what they're passionate about. And if you ask that question, they're like, wait, I don't know. But if I said, Chris, where, wh- what do you enjoy doing? What energizes you? Where do you lose all sense of time? Or one of my mentors, Betsy Myers, she said like her daughter just came home after dance one day and was like, I'm freaking out with joy. So like any of these things, what makes you freak out with joy, energize, lose sense of time, get in flow. There's a lot of research. So that rather than asking, what am I passionate about? Which is a very hard question to answer. So think about that in one circle. Then in the other circle is what am I good at? And that might be like, what are you the go-to person for? And not just at work, like within your friendship group, traditionally, like what have you been known as? And and, and if you don't know, there's exercises. So one thing I, I can share is that 
women in particular are really hard at honing in on what they're good at and their capabilities. And they often understate them in comparison to male peers. So I encourage them to do this best self exercise that Adam Grant's talked about in the University of Michigan, where they go and do discovery discussions with other people to crystallize what they're really great at. So that's another option. And then the last circle is like, what does the market or your organization need? And usually we can, we can, look at the intersection of like, where can I create an impact or drive value for others, which is that bottom circle, you know, where, where am I energized, losing sense of time, like feel excited about the work. And then what am I good at? Because I know I'm energized by things that I'm not good at. And I know I'm good at things that I'm not energized by, but if you find that sweet spot in between those kind of three circles of where you generate value, feel energized, energized and excited and then also are, are good at, that is really where you can help crystallize career aspirations is in that space. We talked about risk-taking and action, but I think it begins with curiosity as opposed to fear, yeah. right? So be, being willing to just think, question, and look, that word, if I could say what's one word that you love and live by and all that, it's that. I mean, that conversations that satisfy your curious mind, that is this podcast. Yeah. Like, what What is it about curiosity that you think is important for us to leverage as we take risks and build our life? So I think curiosity is honestly the most powerful trait um, you can have. And I will tell you, I actually haven't shared this before, but um, you just made me think of it. When I was doing an internship, I must have been 19 in between my years at college. They made me do... Uh, <laughs> one of those assessments of like what your, your core strengths are. Right. And, um, I remember thinking, Oh, I can't wait to get my results. You know, there's like 200 indicators or whatever. And my top strength was curiosity about the world. And I thought, Oh, this sucks. I was like, I was expecting like <laughs> leadership <laughs> or strength. And I was like this. And my second one was gratitude. I was like, these are horrible. And I was like, this thing must be <laughs> off. Like, this is such like weak. Like I would never, I was like, that's curious and grateful. Like how boring, right? And now I've realized actually how on point that assessment was and how much my curiosity has shaped my, my life. And the reason why curiosity is so essential to risk-taking is curiosity is the gateway for continuous improvement. And I... I also haven't used that phrase before, so I'm going to say it again because it makes a lot of sense to me. Like curiosity is the gateway to continuous improvement. And the idea is we are ever evolving. We are never stagnant. We are always fluid. And the minute you think one outcome like is then your identity, that's when things, you know, as we discussed, get kind of toxic. But if we view ourselves as always evolving, continuously improving, the gateway to that is asking questions. How can I do this better? What would I do next time? what have I learned and what data do I have that's going to like catapult my career and life forward in ways that it wouldn't if I didn't take this risk. And so in the book, there's this framework and it's, it's intentionally simple. So you can paste it in your office and remember it. And it's called risk refine, um, reward, repeat. And the idea is you, you take a risk, right? you assess the reward and you say, and rewards are also failures. So what did I learn? You know, what was the output? The refine phase is, will I let this outcome of risk taking define me or refine me? 
And the idea is you want it to always refine you, whether it was a successful risk taken, whether it was a negative unintended outcome, and then repeat. And it's a circle. You should do this for the rest of your life. This should be a ritual. You know, you take a risk, you assess the rewards, you refine your approaches and you repeat. And I want to encourage people like, how do you embrace this model in your companies, in your households? How do you talk to your kids about what risk did you take today? What rewards did you experience? How are you going to refine things moving forward? Like same in your workplaces. Um, and I think it's so critical. That's how we can use curiosity to always asking those questions to push kind of our risk appetite forward. What I love that you do is you put frameworks behind a lot of the jumbled mess that I think accompanies these behaviors. So anybody looking for change, anybody looking for different results, any, they're probably asking themselves, you know, churning, swirling inside. But that swirl in coaching, we talk about decision velocity, like that swirl slows it down. It's like if you're trying to run around the bases in baseball, instead of just going first, second, third home, you go right field, catcher, you know. And so I like these frameworks that you're adding. And I know they're in your book where we can say, okay, there is a method or a name mm -hmm. to what I'm, I'm thinking about. Let me put it on paper, separate myself from it, and then see where that comes as opposed to just thinking internally. Yeah. And I say that because a lot of people that listen to this podcast, obviously you have to be curious. Yeah. A lot of polymaths, a lot of really intelligent people, I think are also, because I identify with it, the same type of people who go, I can, I can think this through, I can figure it out, I can churn and grind on it. And it's tough, yeah. right? And I think that's probably yeah, you too. Yeah, and so I'm then laughing. you became a consultant. <laughs> right. Like, and I then you create the framework. I my own head, you know? My mom right. got me this card once and it's like, you know, I'm the one with a million tabs in my head open at night and then I don't know where the music's coming from and I can't close down and like, that is so me. And so I think it's what's really hard as intelligent, curious, knowledgeable beings is that sometimes the solutions involve us getting out of our own head. And sometimes we think we can think ourselves out of something, but actually we need to err on the side of action more. So one of the biggest issues I see with companies working in the inclusion and culture space and with individuals is what I call analysis paralysis, when you're paralyzed by analyzing. And you're not always going to know the pros and cons and potential good and bad outcomes of every single decision you make, which is why we have to get comfortable with our ability to figure it out, as I said. But, the, but what happens is we think we need to analyze and then act. And Herminia Ibarra, who's out of, I believe she's out of INSEAD, um, but she wrote these amazing books on identity. And she wrote on like, we actually need to act then analyze and we need to flip it. And so although I don't think it's that, I think that there's a nuance and there's, there's actually good on both sides. I understand what she means. And I've embedded some of those ideas in my experimentation chapter. Like instead of planning for a year around what move you're going to make, what can you experiment with on a small scale now that actually then will give you the data and information you need to maybe take a bolder move in the future? And so I sometimes think that, that and that's why this whole book is like around different exercise. And at the end of each chapter, I have an aspiration to action exercise because I'm like, it is time. This is a curriculum. It's not a read a book and put it down. It is a let's do a chapter a month and start taking action now. 
because we, we just underestimate the impact of small acts of courage and small experiments and overestimate the impact of like overthinking things. So I think it's, we've got to interrupt that a bit. Listen, for those wondering, well, what is that? Where is the curriculum? And and we're going to talk about it, but uh, the book is Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career. And as you and I talked about before I hit record, not really uh, only applicable to women, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I I do um, include some gender-related points throughout the book because it in reality, there are certain barriers that are nuanced for women. Um, however, it's really interesting. Like my husband's picked this up. Some of the biggest fans, if you look at the reviews on Amazon, a lot of them are men at more senior stages of their careers. So I would say also it's going to be a really powerful tool for coaches who might be on the line or managers to think about how to structure development curriculums for teams. And of course, yeah, it's applicable across career stage and genders. And I'm assuming, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume, you know, the reason you wanted to include some of the specific, you know, women-related things is because that's a big part of your why, which is where we started. Yeah. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. So what I found exactly, like, and what I found over the years where there were so many career programs focused on senior level or executive women, but it was too little too late. And we don't invest in the coaching and support at that earlier career stage where you know, women are facing unique barriers. Um, So while some of the frameworks would be transferable to anyone, there are certain things and focus around certain aspects of curiosity and courage that given the tendency and research around women might be even more beneficial to women. So let's say women are starting here with their networks or with their, with, with facing gender bind and backlash and men might be here. I mean, men are still going to benefit. It's just, we've got a bigger gap that we've got to close. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, and I, I I appreciate it. For those listening, where where would you like them to find you, follow you, learn more about this? Yeah, sure. So uh, my website's christyhunterrscott.com, so it's my full name. Um, and then uh, my name is my hashtag on you know Instagram as well, uh, LinkedIn. Those are great places to connect. So um, just shoot me a message and uh, definitely check out the book. I love it. All right. And we will link to all those. Christy, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And thanks for all the great questions. This week's guest was Christy Hunter Arscott. It was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and edited by yours truly, John Rojas. Christy's book, Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career is available wherever books are sold. And now for some quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned. Tell a family member or friend about the podcast because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.